glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand please. Galatians chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days, but other of the apostles saw I none save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you behold before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Thank you. you may be seated. How many of you have ever read Matthew 5.16, heard it quoted or preached? Uh, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And you hear that verse, but it's sometimes maybe hard to put um, meat on those bones, practicality to that. How many times we quote a verse, we have this broad idea of what it means. But you know what? When broad ideas become specific application, we call that wisdom. And we need not just say, okay, do good in front of people and God will be glorified. No, good works have to proceed from the indwelling Christ. So they're not done of our own motivation or done of our own fleshly effort but done in response to him and obedience to him and then God is therefore by glorified what does it mean for God to be glorified for me I, I learn by opposing terms by comparison and contrast a lot of times that's the best way for me to learn one of the things I I get frustrated with is and I say frustrated I think as a Christian it ought to grieve us maybe that's the better word I've grieved with is the general attitude that you'll pick up on, especially among unbelievers, that somehow God is, either there'll be a belittling of him, so he's like a pal or a friend or, you know, a grandma or some bringing him down or even a despite toward him. If God is so good, then why? If God is so just, then why? If God is so loving, then why? That is the opposite of glorifying God. Glorifying God is revealing God in a true way so that he is honored in the hearts and minds of men. So that the Lord is seen for who he truly is. So that instead of being belittled, instead of his name being besmirched, so instead of his name being uh, taken in vain, his name is taken seriously. To glorify means to live to the highest esteem and honor. Many have a low view of God including Christians at times, have a low or a disrespectful view. The op, I would say this, God being glorified results in the fear of the Lord. Then men say, my goodness, God is holy, God is righteous, God is just. So how do you and I, I've heard people say, we need to make God look good. I don't like that statement. You don't need to make God look good. He is good. What we need to focus on is not making him look bad not misrepresenting him in some way so that men would think wrongly of him. 
that men would think that God is somehow unjust, that they would think that somehow He is not merciful, that they would think somehow that He is not a God of His Word, that they would think that He's somehow inanimate and disconnected from His creation. We don't. We know who God is. We need to make sure men are not misrepresented, that He's not misrepresented in the minds of other men. It is our job to defend the honor of our good God's name. He is good and we should defend the honor of His name. But the question might be, how do we do that? We don't sit down and write out a map of, I think this would glorify God, so I'll do X, Y, and Z. We get in trouble that way. I think people would think very highly of God if this church grew by 200% this year. Well, they might or they might not. If we have to disobey God to do that, that's not going to bring glory to God. I think, I think God would be glorified. No, you don't really have to think about that. He knows what will glorify Him. You know what glorifies God? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and in all things he glorified the Father, meaning the Lord Jesus never one time misrepresented God the Father before men. He was a perfect representation to man of who God is. You and I are not many times. But as we learn to die to self and let Christ live his life through us, guess what? The more there is of Christ in us and the less there is of us in us, the more God gets glory. Is that not what Paul just said in Galatians 1, 16 and 24? God was pleased that he would reveal his son in Paul. And when that took place, Paul said, they glorified God in me. So it's like this. When Jesus Christ is seen by my life, when his life is seen through me, God gets glorified. People do not need my ideas about God to glorify God. They need Jesus Christ seen in me. Paul, John the Baptist said this way, he must increase and I must decrease. A, a more of Christ, less of me, more God's glory, and not my own. So I want to see in this text three things. I think we can break it into three parts. And then we're going to go to some other texts of Scripture to, to try to see this a little more practically, especially through the instruction of the Apostle Paul uh, here and in some other texts, uh, beginning with our first point here in Galatians chapter 1, 15 and 16, and that is the pleasure of God, God's pleasure. And that's what he says in verses 15 and 16. Um, he, he spells out what God was pleased to do. And then we're going to compare this with Romans 8, 28 and 29, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. I believe it will spell a very clear picture that when God saved us, it was not. this is not only God's unique pleasure for the Apostle Paul, it is God's pleasure. What we're going to say pleases God here in the life of the Apostle Paul is equally pleasing to God in our lives. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's woman called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. What did it please God to do? Reveal his son, Paul says, in me. Now let's think about that statement. Uh, what, what, what pleased God is to unveil Jesus Christ, to reveal. How many of us think that the world has a really clear view of who Jesus is? In no way. One of the things I'm thinking much about, I think of with the Lord's help, one of you is we go out knocking doors. I just want to start asking a question. Who's Jesus? Let's start right there. Who's Jesus Christ? And listen to the explanation of the person. Let them explain who they believe Jesus is. Uh, why do you think that, that he is important or unimportant? You and I both know many a person has a very veiled understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And uh, we could start filling all the examples of that tonight. We know the false religions don't know who he is. He's not just a good prophet. He's not just a good example. He's not the brother of Lucifer. Amen. He's not these things that he said to be by false religion, but he's not even what many a Christian think he is. Many a believer barely knows him. Paul said that I may know him 
I want to be completely familiar with who Jesus Christ is. And you know what God wants? He wants His Son revealed. That word reveal means to take off the cover, to disclose, to reveal. How many of us believe tonight Jesus Christ is literally alive? Well, then how is the world going to know that? So we've got to read their Bible. How many of the world reads their Bible and they still don't see Christ? Paul said, God was pleased to reveal His Son in me. In me. I did not write the text down, but the Bible says we are epistles written of God. It's in 2 Corinthians, I'm pretty sure. Written of God, read of men. Let me ask you something. If you had to choose in your life, what would be the revelation? All right, your life is used to bring something to light. And you could either... Plug your talents into earthly things that only have earthly outcomes. And at the end of your life, people would say, wow, he or she had a lot of abilities. They were able to, and they start filling in. In their lifetime, they were able to start this business. In their lifetime, they were able to accomplish this. In their lifetime, they were able to do this many ministries. And at the end of your life, what people saw revealed is what you were able to do. Or, at the end of your life, the testimony could be, God used that man or that woman to show me the fact that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God. I remember at one of my grandpa's funerals, the first one, he was, God saved him late in life. He had a lot of scars and a lot of baggage. He really did. But he used the last 28 years of his life to tell both my grandpas, great witnesses, both very different personalities. My grandpa Bob bombastic, you know, loud, let's go get him, right? And he witnessed everywhere he went. Everybody knew Grandpa Bob was a preacher. Grandpa Charles was not called to preach. He, he was retired from GMC. He had uh, moved to Tennessee and was, was uh, working part-time jobs, being retired. He worked cleaning hospitals and different things. And Grandpa was just, Grandpa Charles was just your, he was your average guy. But at his funeral, you would not believe the number of people who gave testimony, Charles led me to Christ. Had a banker in town. Nobody knew Grandpa had led that man to Christ. He had the testimony. He led me to Christ, and he led me to Christ. And did you know he told me about Jesus Christ? And he left a revelation when he left, some things we didn't know, that his transformed life had made Christ and the life of Christ abundantly clear to many people. And so I'll say this. He didn't leave a lot of earthly riches. I got no inheritance from Grandpa Charles. Couldn't care less. What he did leave behind after God saved him was a testimony that the gospel is not fraud. It's true. Now, if you had to choose tonight that I'm going to leave a legacy for myself or when I'm done with my life, I will have left a very clear recognition that the gospel is legitimate and Jesus Christ is living today. Here's the truth. Christ is living. The world stands in doubt They treat the gospel as though it is a man-made, fabricated fairy tale. How can we undo what the world is doing? What the world is doing through darkness, through sin, through the abuse of science, through the uh, the abuse of education and using it to, to conceal the truth of the gospel. How do you and I overcome that? Well, our recipe's here tonight. Christ must be revealed in us. God's pleasure was, number one, to reveal not Paul's talents, not Paul's abilities, not Paul's educational prowess. What did God want to do with Paul? Reveal his son. 
He said, I want to use that man as a reflector, as a, as a, as a light to reveal Jesus Christ. So the word reveal means to uncover. And what I began to say is that's God's will for each one of us. Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, we quote often, but the Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Can we all agree his purpose and his pleasure are the same thing? God's purpose for Paul is what pleased God. Pleased God, reveal his son in Paul. All right, so Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Meaning God's foreordained plan for every saved person is to be conformed to the person of Jesus Christ. To be conformed to the character of Christ. To be conformed to Christ's character as it relates to God the Father. To be conformed to Christ as it relates to those around us. To be conformed to the character of Christ as it relates to our attitude towards sin. As as it relates to our attitude toward earthly things. God does not want us conformed to the culture. He wants us conformed to Christ. Why? The more I'm like Christ, the more Christ can be seen. The express purpose of our existence is that Jesus Christ might be made known. Jesus Christ is known through people. God gets so explicit, he says, through our mortal bodies. Meaning how we live our life in our body is how Jesus Christ is made known. And so then God's pleasure was the revelation of his son through the reconciliation of a sinner. Isn't that what Paul says? Isn't that the context of this? He said God, had, God knew before Paul was born what he wanted to do with Paul. Can we all agree on that? Paul did not. Some say, Paul was already called to preach. From God's point of view, Paul wasn't saved, though. <laughs> Paul did not get saved the road to Damascus. He wasn't saved in his mother's womb, but God had a plan for him from his mother's womb. Amen? The fact of the matter is, he says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Paul says, it was the grace of God that called me to salvation. God imparting to me what I had not earned, but what he and his grace uh, imparted and offered to me to reveal his son in me. He says in another place, he who was the chiefest of sinners. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. He puts it in this context in 1 Timothy chapter 1 when he's talking about God's call in his life and God saving him and why God called him and why God saved him. 1 Timothy chapter 1. So I guess what I would hope hope we understand here tonight is Christianity and being saved and being called of God has not to do with the happiest life you can live. It's not about you fulfilling your dreams. It's about God revealing Jesus Christ. i got news for you. In heaven, your dreams aren't going to be worth anything, nor mine. We're not going to care about our dreams. We're going to care about Christ. We're going to care about what was done to make him known. And may I say tonight, there's a tremendous danger in this wicked culture we live in to get caught up in believing the primary reason God saved me was so I could live the life that would make me happy. No, 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 no. The primary reason God saved you, yes, He loved you. But as far as His purpose for you on this earth is to reveal His Son in you. Jesus is living and the world needs to know it. They do not need to know what wonderful people we are. That would be a lie. They need to know Christ. And so, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul explains here in uh, verse um, 
11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, howbeit for this cause. Ah, now we're going to get into God's purpose and pleasure. For this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul says, through my salvation, Jesus Christ made himself known. He showed a pattern of his mercy on sinners by saving me. Ask yourself tonight, what is God trying to reveal about himself in you tonight? May I say this, if you and I approach Christianity with how can I use my Christianity to better my life and fulfill my dreams, you're never going to hear from God on that because that's not his intent. That's not his purpose. The most noble thing that can be done with our lives is for Jesus Christ to be unveiled through us, for the reality of who he is to be seen by through who we are. And so then God's pleasure is the revelation of his son through the reconciliation of sinners, that he might reveal his son in me. And Paul explains who me is. He said, I was chief of sinners, but God saved me that he might show forth long-suffering. What that word show forth means? His words? Reveal. The Lord Jesus Christ is a long-suffering, faithful Savior, and he saved Paul to prove it. Here's not who I was, it's who I am. One of the greatest testaments to the living Son of God today is the life of a reconciled sinner. It's no wonder Satan works so hard to oppose evangelistic effort. It's no wonder he works so hard to spoil the testimony of Christians because it's by that that it's proven that he is a defeated foe. The life of Christ proves the defeat of Satan. And here tonight, when we, when we preach about being separated unto God, it's more than just, look, if I preach to you tonight, live a separate life unto God, it's the best life you can live. What do you mean by that, Pastor, the best life you can live? All I could say, it is the best life you can live, but here's why, because it's the one of eternal value. Our living for the Lord Jesus Christ, and our living according to the graces that we've been saved by, has so, there's so much more at stake here than how I feel about my life. It's what God's purpose is for my life. God's pleasure is that his son be revealed in me. Number two, God's process. So if God's pleasure was to reveal his son in Paul, how does that happen? What's it look like? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you would, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul, of course, writing to the Corinthians. Um, Let's just go ahead. I was just going to read verses 5 through 7. Let's back up and start in verse 1. And we'll read down to verse 7 for the moment. We'll read some other verses in 2 Corinthians 4, these are corresponding texts. Galatians 1, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, these correspond with each other in relation to his son being revealed in us and God being glorified thereby. It's very interesting, this concept that Paul preaches about Christ being revealed in, in our mortal bodies or Christ being revealed. He preaches it in three different texts. It's printed in three different places. Galatians 1, that it pleased God that, that he would reveal his son in me. Here in 2 Corinthians 4, he talks about uh, the life of Christ being manifest in our mortal body. So he uses the word reveal, manifest, and then in Philippians 1.20, magnified. Christ is to be revealed in us, manifest in us, and magnified in us. And we'll speak about those terms. 
uh, in a little bit more detail. But now we're beginning to deal with God's process. So if God's will was to reveal Christ in Paul's body, how does that happen? I mean, does one day we just walk into, one day we walk in and people say, your face looks like Jesus. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's his character. It's the essence of who he is revealed through who we are. You know what has to happen? You and I got to get pinned to his cross. Uh, who we are by nature has got to go. My natural desires, I've got to realize, are corrupt and they've got to be on the cross and dead with him that he may live through me. You know what has to happen? My natural, my natural propensities, I've got to realize they're no good. I know that in me that is in my flesh, what I was born, that is in me that is, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Then that's got to be nailed to the cross. Don't pursue your fleshly wants. That's on the cross. That's why it's important we walk in the Spirit and pursue His wants. So, let's look here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to walk you through a number of T words to help us understand this process. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Excuse me, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. What blinds the minds of people? Their unbelief. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this, here's our first T, what? Treasure in what? Earthen vessels. Christ, the Son of God, in me. Christ in me. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. I'm going to read the old text here that I want us to pay attention to. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, meaning his death on our part and our death with him to sin. That's the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. That's practical. Now you say, that sounds pretty complicated. Not really. Is Jesus living today? How is that made known? Through my body and your body. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your Bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Don't use your body according to the world's standards. Don't you use your body according to the world's principles. Because then all you'll do is reveal the world instead of Christ. No, we're dead to that. So that we're not using our bodies for our purposes, our pleasures, our advancement. No, our bodies are used for His purpose, His pleasure. You know what? If that's going to happen, the first thing is, in your body, you have to have the treasure. 
He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. This all begins with number one, if Christ is going to be revealed in me, he has to be in me. And the earthen vessel is my body. You know what? What's valuable here is not this clay vessel. The longer you live, the less value your body has. Amen? Unless you're a doctor and then my body becomes very valuable to him. But anyway, as the body fails, it's good for medicine, right? Uh, for, for the pocketbooks of doctors. But the fact is, God calls our bodies earthen vessels. But when we get saved, he puts a treasure in our earthen vessel. What? Know you not that your body... Hold on. What? Know you not that your what? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I'm going to help you something now, if you let me. You hear somebody preaching to you that what you do with your body doesn't matter to God. you got somebody preaching a lie to you. God wants your mortal body and my mortal body to be vehicles by which he may show that dying body has life in it. You get a body whose tongue is changed and whose eyes are changed and his habits of his hands are changed and his feet go different places. And all of a sudden somebody says, why do you do that with your body? Why don't you do that with your body? And you say, because i got a treasure in this body. And that's what makes this thing significant. What makes your body significant tonight? It's not that it's yours. (laughs) Because it's his. It's bought with a price. We have a treasure in this earthen vessel. So first of all, the process is God has invested the treasure of His Son by putting the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts. He dwells in our hearts by faith, the Bible says. So God's process, first of all, upon faith in Christ, He puts Christ within us by the Holy Spirit, puts a new nature in us. We've been made partakers of the divine nature through faith. We have a treasure in our in our bodies. Number two, the process is not only the, the indwelling treasure, but we have a transformation that takes place. You remember back in Galatians where we just read, the Bible says, Paul says that when he showed up the churches of Judea, they didn't know him by face, meaning they'd never met him. Only they'd heard that he which persecuted us now preaches the faith that he once persecuted. You know what Paul's saying? I got transformed. He said when they could see that God turned a hater into someone who loved him, they glorified God in me. And when we, when we conform to the world... Meaning, when we adapt our lives to suit the lost, unbelieving world, whether it's our personal lives or it's our church, you know what we do? We stymie the power of the gospel. We put a bushel over our light. We do not reveal Christ. We just reveal the culture around us. You ought to ask tonight. My values, my positions, my convictions, my actions, my words, my conduct... Does it reveal the culture around me? Does it reveal sin in me or does it reveal Christ in me? You know what? We have a treasure. It's a light. The light of God's life is in us and that's what's supposed to come through in how we use our bodies. So a transformation had taken place in Paul's life. Paul says it. Let's read again in 1 Timothy 1. So first of all, God puts the treasure of his son in our hearts. But second of all, because of that, as you and I submit to God, we are transformed. Again, what's Romans 12, 2 saying? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. What is tra- How many remember those stupid little toys called transformers? They turned into a car into some mean-looking robot. <laughs> and when they did, you said, that's not the same as it was. <laughs> it was transformed. I see so many today 
looking at the outside, you'd never know. They were not a devil-worshipping, fornicating, whoremongering, wicked person lost in this world. And then they begin to tell you how much they love Jesus. And I go, "Ah." your body screams that you're wicked and your words say that you're righteous. I'm having a hard time. Some naysayers said, oh, remember God looks in the heart, Pastor. I do remember that. And I also remember that what's in the heart comes out in the life. And I also remember God only cares about what's on the inside of you. I want to test this tonight. Is that statement true? God only cares about the inside. That is a lie. You search all 66 books and you'll never show that from the Bible. It's the heart that matters. You got that right. (laughs) Amen. Amen. I walk by a tree in the forest and all the needles are brown. Someone says, that tree is dying. So don't judge that tree. You're judging by appearance. I mean, the needles are brown. All that matters is the heart. You know why the needles are brown? Because the heart of that tree is dead. When you reflect death in the way you live, it shows you're dead. Amen? I want to tell you something. I want to caution you, please. So many professing believers are. Please don't get caught up with this movement that says you can look, talk, act, go places only the devil would go and maintain a right life and walk with God. No way. It is the transformed life that reveals Christ, not the conformed life. The conformed life to this world does not reveal anything other than I'm still a sinner. It's the transformed life. Again, 1 Timothy 1, if you would. 1 Timothy 1, Paul talks about what he was before and what he was now. 1 Timothy chapter 1, the Bible says, yeah, once again, we just read this, but the Bible says in verse 11, according to the glorious gospel, the blessed God, which is committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer. What part of your body do you use to blaspheme? Your mouth. Do you know what you never find Paul doing now? Blaspheming. You would never find him berating Jesus Christ as he did before. Oh, Jesus, huh? That, that son of a, a fornication out of Nazareth. That's who you worship. Isn't that what Paul did before? Blasphemer. Railing on the name of Jesus Christ. Now, can you imagine Paul saying, I got saved. I'm a believer. Now, Jesus, that son of a fornicator, is my Savior. Does that make any sense? Nor does it make sense for someone who says, you know, I'm going to mark my body up like devil worshippers do and call myself a Christian. I before was a devil worshipper and I got tattoos and went into horrible places and I still do, but now I'm saved. What? No. No, no. Transformation. Paul says, I was before a blasphemer. Not now. What happened? He had the treasure now in his earthen vessel. Let's move forward. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor? What is a persecutor? Someone who makes misery for someone else because of their faith primarily. I am sad to say this. Now, I do not want to use this message to rail. I use it to warn. There is more persecution for sincere believers today coming from professing Christians than the lost world. It's a truth. 
in my life, the people that have made my life miserable for my, my, just what I wouldn't do with my body have been people that themselves claim to be Christians. Mocking, ridiculing, harassing, calling names, and angry, injurious to God's people. Today, most of the railing that takes place for sincere Christians comes from people who themselves claim to be Christians but are still living in the past life of sin and they're injurious to other Christians. Meaning, there's the actual injury done to local churches and injury done to believers who are trying to move forward with God. You know where it's coming from? Brethren so-called. You know what? Once you get saved, your desire is not to injure a brother. Paul said, I before, I injured God's people. I was a persecutor. You think he meant spiritual injury, physical injury? Yep. Emotional injury? Any that he could afflict because he was against God's church. If I can afflict injury on God's people, I will. He said, before I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. That doesn't mean he didn't know he was... The idea would be he was not knowledgeable of the cross of Christ in the sense of, I know he's the way of salvation. He was sincerely deceived in unbelief. The idea, I believe he's separating here, is the difference between an apostate and an unbeliever. An apostate knows the gospel, is convinced it's true, and rejects it. Paul said, that's not what I was. I was ignorant because of my unbelief, but God was merciful and opened my eyes. I was injurious and and, and all these things. You know, I'm, I'm preaching this tonight to show you this. Paul said... It pleased God that He would reveal His Son in me. Well, how did God go about doing that? Number one, He put His Son in His heart upon faith. We received the Spirit of God. But then that Holy Spirit of God, He which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. The presence of Christ changed Paul's blasphemous mouth, changed his persecuting lifestyle, changed his injurious lifestyle. Paul was absolutely, undeniably a transformed man. He who at one time railed on the gospel is now preaching it. It was a 180 degree turn in Paul's life. I want to say this. The evidence that the treasure is within is that there's transformation of life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You say, can you be saved and not transformed? Yes. Can you have the treasure without transformation? Yes. How many of you would say that Lot's life is the picture of Jesus Christ revealed? Lot's life is a picture of the folly of carnality. While being a righteous man, loving the world we live in more than the God who saved our soul. So you can't have the treasure without the transformation, but if you want the revelation of God's Son, you know what does it? A transformed life. Number one, the treasure within, the transformation of the life. We don't like this one, but the trouble that we receive from the world. Do you know why the world gives us trouble? Because we're transformed. (laughs) The world will not give you trouble for acting like them. They'll give you trouble for being like Christ. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 4. So number one, the process of the revelation of his son is the treasure within, the transformation of life, and the trouble that we receive from the world we live in. 2 Corinthians 4. Once Paul was saved, 
once he knew that he had Jesus Christ dwelling within, he didn't keep that treasure to himself, did he? Everywhere he went, his life said, here's a changed man, and he went preaching his testimony. You realize Paul gave his testimony of salvation to Agrippa? He gave his testimony of salvation to Felix. He gave his testimony of salvation to Festus, to the wives that were along with them, meaning he is standing in a Roman court. And you know what he decides to talk about? Not tax reform, sinner reform. This is what I was, and you know it. I mean, how many times throughout the New Testament do we get Paul's testimony? You get it repeatedly because that's what he went around preaching. This is what I was. I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious and I was zealous in my false religion. I was full of pride and God intercepted me and gave me a son in place of my dead religion. And I want you to know Jesus Christ is not a fable. He's a living person. And you know what? His life backed it up. The transformed life bugged his enemies because it said what Paul is preaching is true. Look at him. Amen? In Corinthians chapter 4, again, uh, Paul says this, For we preach not ourselves, verse 5, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our lights to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. May I say this? If God had put the treasure of His Son in polished wonderful, eternal vessels. We don't have glorified bodies yet, do we? Why do you put the Holy Spirit in a vessel like us? To make it very clear that the power is not in us. <laughs> that should be abundantly clear. <laughs> but that the power is of God. Then he says this, verse 8. Uh, he says, we are troubled on every side. That word trouble means this, to crowd, to afflict, uh, to narrow in on, to throng, to suffer tribulation. You ever have life close in on you? Now look at I'm not just talking about the, the, the natural difficulties of life. I'm talking about trouble in your life because you're serving Christ. Paul's talking about trouble. So we are troubled on every side. He said, everywhere I turn, there's trouble related to my faith in Jesus Christ. On this side, the Jews hate my gospel because it offends them. On this side, they stir up the Gentiles and they lie about me. I'm stoned over here. When I leave to go over here, they pursue me to this city. And then I get on a ship to travel to preach the next and there's a shipwreck. How many times do we just want all the troubles in our life to go away? Well, if they do, then Christ can't be revealed. Because you know what he says? We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. How can you be troubled in an earthen vessel and not be distressed? Because you've got a treasure inside that's eternal. My body can be destroyed. He says in another point, another place, though our outward man perish, we are renewed. Our inward man is renewed day by day. Paul says, my body is decaying, the treasure is the same. I'm renewed inwardly. The strength and power and righteousness of God is not affected by the troubles without. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed. That means to have no way out. So we've got trouble on every side and there's no way to escape. We, we, we can't get away from it. You know why? Because he's in a world that hates God. So on every side there's trouble. He said, we're perplexed. Uh, then he goes on to say, but not in despair. So we're hemmed in with trouble all around us and there's really no way out, but we're not in despair. That word despair means to be utterly at a loss. Despair means to be without any hope. Do you know how you can be surrounded by trouble without a way of escape and still have hope? Because you have a treasure in your earthen vessel. And he goes on to say, persecuted, verse 9, 
but not forsaken. So the world's turned against us, but Christ hasn't. <laughs> and then he goes on to say cast down. The idea of being humbled and put down and trampled. Almost the idea of being depressed. Cast down, but not destroyed. You know what he's saying? And then he goes on to say always, verse 10, always bearing about in the, the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Do you know what trouble will do? Trouble on every side will remind you of the weakness of sinful flesh. Trouble on every side will kill pride. Trouble on every side, you know what it does? It reminds us of the dying of the Lord Jesus and trouble on every side it, it kills pride. It kills self-promotion. That's what he's dealing with here. All the trouble that I find in this world is related to the treasure that I have. And the result is this. It keeps me from following my own agenda. And it keeps me to where Christ can be seen in me. I mean, what he's saying is I have then to live a life of dependence on him. Because of my trouble, I have to depend on Him. Because of perplexity, I have to depend on Him. If the Lord gave us smooth sailing, we would depend on us and all we would see is us. But through trouble and perplexity and through uh, persecution and through being cast down, it forces us to live a life of dependence on Him so that in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. And if you're praying tonight for a trouble-free life, you're praying for an unchristian life. The only way God can reveal Christ is that in our troubles we rely on Him and He shows Himself faithful. How can you be troubled and not in despair and distress? Christ, He's living. He's a living friend. You know this as well as I. If you walk with God, you have days you go, man, i got a financial crisis here. I have a family issue here. I've got a personal health issue here. I've got a mental distress here. I am about to come unraveled. What do I do? And you say, I know. God says, I do. Do you come and you commune with me? And you go and you begin to pour your heart out to God and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about this. I don't have a solution. I have a problem, but I don't have a solution. I don't know what to do about this. And part of this is created because of my love for you. And I don't know what to do about this, Lord. I am surrounded by troubles. And the more you pour out your heart, the more your heart becomes calm. Am I know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever sensed in your physical body the change of your entire tension of your flesh simply because the Lord begins to commune with you? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to learn. To watch Jesus Christ minister to your soul as you rely on Him because He is living. Watch Him minister His life into you while you live in a dying world and in a dying body and see how the Lord takes care of His own. And so we have a treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling in us. The transformation of our life tells those around us He's in us. But you know what else? Trouble in our lives, persecution, distress, being cast down causes us to live a life of dependence on Him and not on ourselves. You know as well as I do, your best spiritual days are not when everything is going well. Am I telling the truth? You and I would quit praying if everything went the way we wanted it to. But praise God it doesn't. Praise God for trouble. Because you know what it does? It's what it should do. It should force us to say, Lord, I need you today. I got trouble. Lord, I'm perplexed. I'm hemmed in on every side. Lord, I'm being mistreated. I'm being persecuted. How many have ever been treated wrong because you did right? 
That's called persecution. I am persecuted. But the Lord, you know what? He says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And so the treasure that is within, the transformation of our lives, the trouble that we go through, all of this is the process of revealing his son in us. Isn't that what he said in verse 10? Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. He connects the dying of the Lord Jesus and all this trouble that comes with Christ being within us. And he says in verse 11, uh, of first, Second Corinthians 4, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, meaning we are mistreated by the world we live in because Christ is in us, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. When the world persecuted Christ and put him on a cross and killed him, guess what he did? He triumphed. When the world troubles us, perplexes us, persecutes us and casts us down, you know what we do? We triumph. This is the victory, even our faith. Amen? Uh, and so then, we can triumph in our trouble because of the treasure that we have within. So number one, the treasure, God's process of revealing His Son in us, the treasure of His presence, the transformation of our life, the trouble in this world that we go through, and then our testimony as we come out of that. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Such well-known verses. These are... My life, verse Philippians 121, it's well for us to look at in the context of Scripture. Paul's in prison when he writes this. He has people that are giving him a hard time. He had some people preaching the gospel in order to irritate Paul. It would be like this. Let's say next Sunday the police come in and say, it's illegal now for us to preach in the United States. Pastor, we're going to arrest you. And I get arrested because I refuse, not to, I refuse to stop preaching. I, let's, let's just... We'll, 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 we'll make a hypothetical, and I'll be a great hero. All right? Put me in jail for preaching the gospel. And some other guy across town who's willing to do whatever he's told and is more than happy to compromise comes in here and starts preaching and makes sure that I know, let Pastor Neil know I'm preaching every Sunday while he's stuck in jail. Now, why would a guy do that? Paul said in Philippians 1, some did it of envy and strife. They were preaching, not because they believed the gospel, not because they believed it had power. They were preaching to give Paul a hard time. You can't preach and we can. Ha ha, na 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 na. Paul said, it's all right, Christ being preached, I'm good with that. That's basically what he said in Philippians 1. Then he says in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He goes on to talk about the two, the two options he has in front of him. But what he says in verse 20, he says, My earnest, my sincere expectation and my hope is that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body. He's dealing with preaching the gospel, the testimony of his very mouth. It's the same thing he dealt with in Galatians 1 when he said, I was before, uh, they did, the, the churches of Judea did not know me by face. They only heard that he who I persecuted I now preach. Let me read it, Galatians 1, 23. But they heard, had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed. We have to, we have to attach to our transformed life 
and our ability to overcome our triumph in our trouble, people have to know why. We have to open our mouth and say, it's not because of me, it's because of who lives in me. The reason I can be troubled and not be in despair, the the reason I can be perplexed and and not distressed and in despair and persecuted but not forsaken and cast down but not destroyed is because I have the living Son of God in me. Our life should scream that Christ is alive. It should show that His life is in me by how I go through my trouble, by the transformation of a, from a sinful individual to a sanctified individual. Then you have to, and I have to open my mouth, and as Paul says here, make known with all boldness the Lord Jesus Christ. It was his prayer in Ephesians chapter 6. Pray for me that, that I would make known the mystery of the gospel with all boldness as I ought to speak. There has to be a verbal testimony of our lives to say, this is who's changed me. This is who gives me the grace and the strength to endure my troubles. It's a transformation of life and the triumph in our troubles that builds a platform for a testimony. And I believe this. You and I want people to be saved by the droves. We want fruit, but we don't want the trouble that gives us a testimony. We don't want the transformation. We don't want to be different than them. We don't want to be mocked by them for living our lives and using our bodies according to His will instead of theirs. And so what we want is we want the fruit, but we don't want the root. I want to see souls saved, and I fear it reveals the selfishness in us. Really what I want is to feel better. It makes me happy when pews are full, or it makes me happy when it looks like I'm fruitful. But the truth of the matter is, the only way people can be saved is if they're convinced Jesus is literally, truly alive, dead for our sins and living for our salvation. And that is done through our bodies, the transformation of our lives and the triumph that we have in our troubles opens our mouths to be able to make known the, the gospel. Friend, let's not avoid. Listen, here's where it, where it comes down to. You know what transformation is? It's called separation. I live for Christ. I live for Him. The number one, the number one deterrent of separation in the lives of God's people is not the lack of instruction in the Bible. It's the pressure from the ungodly. The number one deterrent for why we don't live godly in Christ Jesus is what men think of us. Number one, we fear the opinions of men. Not realizing what we're doing is we're veiling the world from seeing Christ. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men. Don't hide him from the world. Make him known through a transformed life. Make Him known through transformed language. Make Him known through transformation of our even our countenance and how we respond to people when they treat us ill and wrong. And so then God's pleasure, the revelation of His Son through the reconciliation of a sinner. God's process, He's given the treasure of Christ to indwell us. And by Him, as we obey Him, our lives are transformed. The world will trouble us because of the transformation of our lives. And our triumph in that trouble allows us to have a testimony. Is that not the way Paul worded it in Galatians 1.16? To reveal his son in me that I might preach. You know what gives power to preaching? The revelation of his son. To the transformed, triumphant life. And so, we've seen the process, treasure, transformation, trouble, and testimony. Number three, God's praise. Galatians 1.16, it pleased God, verse 15, and verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Then look at verse 24. And they glorified God in me. As Christ was revealed in him, then it could be seen the goodness and the greatness of God 
through the revelation of Christ. So three things under God's praise in verse 24. And they glorified God in me. Number one, the reality of Christ in Paul's life. Number two, revealed. So the reality of Christ revealed in my body results in God's glory. Letter A, the reality of Christ. Letter B, revealed in my body. Letter C, results in God's glory. Titus chapter 3, and we'll close here shortly. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. When we think of these verses as salvation verses as we should... But he deals with what good works are for, what it's about. We'll couple it with Matthew 5.16 as we close. It says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. There's that treasure in our earthen vessel. Verse 6, Which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Why? These things are good and profitable unto men. Then in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. As you and I learn to respond to the Christ within more than the culture without, you know what we do? Our responsible obedience to Christ within while we live in an abrasive culture without, reveals who? It reveals Christ. And that is all we should live for tonight. We're not trying to figure out how can I please Christ and appease the culture. You know what we're saying? I don't mind the transformation as long as it doesn't bring trouble. But if I can stymie the transformation, I can stymie the trouble. The problem, though, is I just stymied my testimony. And now the world's not going to see Christ in my body. Mash some. Is he worth the trouble? Oh, amen. He's worth the trouble. How will they ever believe if they don't see him through our lives? I don't know of anything that will make Jesus Christ clearer to a lost world than the transformation of our corrupt lives into holy lives. And then when the world troubles us over that transformation... Our triumph over the distress and the persecution and the perplexity and the troubles that are created by living in a sinful world with a sinless Christ living within. Tonight, let's not miss the clarity of this. You know, this is so applicable to Galatians because you know what was happening? There were men coming in who were trying to take the Galatians back to a false religion that had no trouble with it. There was no persecution for teaching that you were saved by circumcising your children or going back to Judaism. No one would persecute you for exercising false religion. But if you said the Gentile who's uncircumcised is just as righteous as the Jew who's circumcised, they're going to start throwing stones at you because of your loyalty to the gospel. See what the Galatians were being pressured to do? They were being pressured to change the message of the gospel to appease some persecuting men. And Paul said, don't you do it. God's purpose is the revelation of his son through our transformed lives. And here's what God did with me, transformed me to reveal his son in me. And when God's son was seen, then God was glorified. Who does the world see in us tonight? Do they see us, our ideals, our cleverness, or are they seeing Christ? Because God's pleasure is that Christ be revealed in us.